Praise the Lord. Are we ready to worship the Lord tonight? Amen. Ready to lift his voice up and in, in, in song and in word? I am. I, I thank God this week. He uh, carried me through some things. And I just want to praise him tonight because he's carried me through some things. Has he carried you through some things this week? Amen. Amen. He always does. Because one of the things he says in his word that he's faithful. And he will never leave us. Lord, Amen. 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 Well, let me read the scripture, then we'll pray, and we'll get in some praise and worship. Amen? Amen. All right. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. That's his promise. Take that, family, and accept that promise. And remember that promise this week when we go through stuff. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, tonight we just want to praise you and honor you and thank you. Thank you for our lives. Thank you for your love. And thank you for this time. You've given us such a, a wonderful place to be and such a wonderful family to be in. And Lord, we just thank you for that tonight, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that as we prepare to, to praise you and lift up our voices, Lord, that you would just uh, honor us and, Lord, help us to, to get into that place where we can show you our love. Lord, tonight I pray that you would just anoint the praise and worship team and help us, Lord, to bring, bring this church into that place. Lord, be with the rest of the service, be with our brother Seku as he prepares tonight to bring the word. We love you. We praise you and we honor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all sing. We got Blake back and Jimmy back, and we're happy that they are done with going through the illnesses that they went through. And then we have Mike on the road, and we have Kevin, who is uh, ill and in the bed. So it, it's funny how, you know, usually in most churches they talk about CEO Christians. Christmas and Easter only, and you have the biggest, you know, amount of people show up on Christmas and Easter, um, but this is a different day and age, and so we want to keep those in prayer that could not be here, um, whether they're traveling or they're ill, um, just make sure that we continue to lift them up. Uh, they are with us in spirit, even though they're not with us in body, and so they will be missed, but we praise God and hope that he continues to be with them as he is with us. Amen? Amen.
exalt you, Lord, that it all goes according to your plan. Again, I thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome, church. Welcome. Before we pray and get started, I'd like to read a verse. It's in James 5. It goes on, it says, uh, it says, starts off, it says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, wait upon the Lord's coming. See how the farmers wait patiently for the land, for the land to yield its valuable crops, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to be patient and stand firm in the faith. And let's not be weary in doing good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we come to you, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for your love and mercy and your grace that you pour upon us daily. We ask you, Father God, to be here as, to, as our brothers take you to share the message with us, that you just soften our hearts and open our eyes to the word, Lord. If there's anything that hinders us, Father God, we ask you, Father God, to give us the strength to lay that down to your feet, Father. In the name of Jesus, we give all glory and thanks to you. Amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I love it hearing all those wonderful voices when we praise and thank him for what he's doing in our lives. That, that praise and worship was wonderful. That uh, It's hard for me to get through that last song. That last song always tears me up. And it even teared me up tonight. I just... Uh, Think of that song, Good, Good Father, and all the words that are in it. It's just amazing. Amen? Amen. Well, we are uh, come to that time where we get to uh, invite our brother Sekou to come break uh, the bread of life for us. But before he does, I have a question for you. Why do bees buzz? Because they can't whistle. Well, <laughs> you would think that after a while, wow, this font is really small, um, that I would be used to that. And I still have to adjust, but praise God. Um, honestly, what we need in this season probably is more humor than anything. Um, it's, it's good to be with y'all. But I recognize the time and I recognize the season. And for those of y'all that know me um, well, and for those of y'all that don't know me, I, I hope not to really ruin your mentality, not of me, but about what I'm getting ready to say. Because um, I've been known to say things from time to time that cause people to go say, what? Um, but this is probably something that resonates with a lot of people in this room. And let me preface this by I am 100% elated about the birth of Jesus Christ and its importance. I am also, by the same token, not a big fan of Christmas. And I will tell you why. It's not that I am against the celebrating of Jesus' birth. I grew up in a household of a lot of pomp and circumstance and show and none of it more apparent than around Christmas. So in a young, at a young age, I saw more of you have to play the part, you have to put on the, the Christian face and all of this other stuff because we have family coming in. 
And it wasn't just in the home. It was in the church. And it wasn't just in the church. This is the 70s. Some of y'all go back a little bit further, but I'm not talking about the Sears Roebuck catalog. What I'm talking about, <laughs> what I'm talking about though, is even in those days, the inundation with Santa Claus, with be good, or, or this creepy man who you never see and somehow is able to step into people's homes and do breaking and entering in multiple states and never get caught. We're never charged. If we did that, we'd be in trouble. And he keeps a list of whether you're naughty or nice. And you're going around the whole entire year going, wait a minute, where is this dude that he's constantly watching me to see my actions? And then you get a little bit older. And you realize your parents lied to you. What? <laughs> and then you start looking at them a little funny. Well, if you lied to me about this Santa Claus guy, then what else did you lie to me about? And then the whole thing of Christmas just becomes what's real and what isn't. And after a while, I got into my, my teens and things dissolved. And I said, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to head out. My dad told me, if you don't like the rules, you can get out. Guess what I did? So then it's a lot of Christmases living in the streets during the winter. And this is Minneapolis. <laughs> this isn't Arizona. This is Minneapolis. So there's been many attics that I've slept in. Um, and the only thing to keep me warm was staying up underneath a blanket and E&J. And this is in my teens. And so when you get older and become a parent with that mentality, all of a sudden you get five kids and now you're repeating the same cycle. And I'm like, I'm not lying to my kids about this guy, this voyeur who is watching them the whole entire time. I'm not doing that. Oh, but you know, I'm not doing that. They should know what Christmas is about. And then my grandma, she got highly, this is a good Baptist woman, she got highly upset with me because I wouldn't put up a Christmas tree. Oh, we, the only few arguments I ever got into with my grandma, and there weren't arguments. It was pretty much she said, and that was the end of it. But it was about a Christmas tree. You're robbing your kids of Christmas. Actually, I kind of think I'm reorienting them to what Christmas is, but I'm not going to go there. Respect your elders. And so growing up with this jaded mentality, it took a while for me to get, you know what? Christmas is about more than pomp and circumstance and selfishness and gifts and all of these other things. Number one, Christmas is about Christ. Number two, and ironically enough, it was in prison that I got to see some very real demonstrations of giving. See, I was in 1A, and that was interesting. And then I ended up in 4A, for those of y'all that were in GEO. And in 4 Alpha, when I first got there, and they did it every year, they, the, the, and it, it, was, it was the whites, ironically enough. It was the whites. And they, the, the heads would get all this stuff together, and they would make burritos and all. I mean, it was a big thing. And they blessed everyone in the pod. It didn't matter what race you were, whether you were able to contribute or not. Everybody got the same thing. And the thing about it is, even though I had dealt with enough heads when I was in uh, the prison, in this pod, these guys were very genuine. They weren't racist. One with swastikas and all that stuff that he had on him ended up becoming one of my best friends on the yard and John's. Um, and I'm a black guy that speaks Hebrew, <laughs> but it was, it was seeing this 
the fact that, okay, we have a structure and we got to make sure that all the races are taken care of, but at the end of the day, we're still people. And I'm going, you would have never thought to see this in this environment. And then to get out and to be around less than perfect Christmas. It wasn't about looking good. It wasn't about, you know, who got the biggest gift and all of that stuff. It was a bunch of people just being real, doing what they could around Christmas time. And slowly it started to grow on me about what we as Christians really should be about instead of what I had learned as a child. Unfortunately, for those that are not enlightened, Christmas is a, a, a blend of compromised truth because the kids now look more towards Santa Claus than Jesus. And we sing equally, almost sometimes even more so, about Santa Claus than Christmas. Um, one of the most popular songs has been number one for several decades, and that's frightening because I remember when this woman first started. But who? Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is you. For some reason, that song seems to top the list every single year. Is that about Jesus? No. <laughs> I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Is that about Jesus? No. And if it is, we're going to have to have a serious doctrinal talk about what you perceive Jesus to be versus what he actually is. He's not a hippopotamus. And so we have this blended truth about Christmas. And unfortunately, because we are who we are, we kind of go along with the blended truth so that we don't upset the apple cart. And so we teach our kids about Santa. And then later on, we teach them that, well, you know, we're lying to you about Santa. He doesn't exist. Uh, but in all reality, we, more so than anything, need to be oriented to what Christmas is actually about. Not capitalism, not all of the different, you know, put on the Christmas spirit and then live like a hellion for the rest of the 11 months, but to actually get back to what Christmas is and not be ashamed about it, not put an X in front of it and go Xmas so we don't offend anybody. But to say, you know what, this actually is about Christ. Even though, yes, Christmas came about, or is first documented in 1038, uh, in England, of all places, as Christ Mars. So really, up until that point, and while before the church really split, this is a few years after the, the main split, because um, the main split's about 1015, this is 1038 when you record Christ Mars. And so it's not a big tradition except for the last thousand years. And it really didn't get super big until the last 150. So before we think that this has been a Christian tradition, Christ has been a Christian tradition. Christmas as we know it is a created tradition. And I'm not here to knock on Christmas as it is, but to point out that while you're going through it and however you choose to celebrate it, make sure you keep Christ first. Turn, if you will, to John, the first chapter. John chapter 1, 1 through 14. And, and just to make, because um, um, you guys get nervous when I have like five pages. <laughs> Especially Eric and uh, Kevin, because they have to figure out, okay, well, where is he jumping to next? So it's only two pages. And really small font. John, the first chapter, we're going to read 1 through 14. If you're there, say amen. amen. Well, let's, all, let's all, excuse me, I'm still tripped up over this. Uh, let's all stand in honor of reading God's word. 
The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you once again. We can come together, we can worship freely. We pray, Lord, that your word speaks to us and your spirit not only opens our eyes but opens our hearts and our minds to your truth and what it is that you would have for each and every one of us individually and corporately we thank you and we bless you in jesus name amen, amen. the reality of christmas you may be seated sorry bobby the reality of christmas the reality of what we celebrate is that light was introduced to darkness that is the ultimate gift that order was given in the midst of chaos. That life was given in the midst of death. That light was poured out and dispelled darkness. That is the ultimate truth that we reside and hold fast to when it comes to the birth of Jesus Christ. Yes, it came in the form of him being born in a manger. Ironically enough, it came in the form of him having to be carried and taken care of by other people. Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords humbled himself not only to come into the world in flesh, but didn't come as a 33-year-old man saying, all right, let's do this, fully grown and fully active and fully cognizant. He came as an infant, and he had to be taken care of by others until he reached a certain age. Not only that, but if you look at the line that he came through, the names of some of the people that he came through. You would think he would have came through, you know, great, wondrous people. And some of them were, David being one of them. But wait a minute, David, David wasn't perfect. So let's, let's go down the list and look at some other people. Rahab. I... Maybe we shouldn't go there. Well, how about um... Ruth? Wasn't there like a Moabite? Aren't they not even supposed to be married into the Jewish lineage? So they were inbred. They weren't from the Ozarks. They were inbred. They, I'll let y'all read the story. But as if you look at Jesus' lineage, it's scandal. It's so many reasons to go, your family is no good. And this is what he was born into. And then he was born not in Jerusalem, but in a manger. He was born in Bethlehem. He lived in the hood. 
Nazareth. We talked about that last week. And yet, he humbled himself in order to go through with the mission given to him by the Father. And because he went through and did what God instructed him to do, even though he is God, don't get that wrong, because he says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that in, in itself would cause a problem with a lot of people. Because how are you with God, but you're God? And then we get into Trinitarian arguments and things like that, which I'm not here to get into. But the word states what the word states. And later on, didn't uh, Jesus say <laughs> when it came to the word of God, and he's quoting Psalm 86, he says, doesn't your word say you are God's and the scripture cannot be broken? So for any of us trying to rewrite First John or John chapter 1, verses 1, to try and say, well, the word... And, and God are really two separate entities, not one. They are two separate and still two. Uh, there's two separate and one. Amen. <laughs> I'm not going to try and sit here with my elementary brain and, and try and correct the word into what makes sense to man. I'm not going to do that because that's what gets us in trouble with arguments about doctrine in the first place. Contradictions aren't in the word. Contradictions are in man. Trying to understand the word. Let's move on before we get into trouble. But it says that the word was with God and is God and was there from the start. So you would rightfully think that Jesus had the, the, the authority to come into the world as he is. But he chose to come into the world in humility. But yet he submitted himself to everything that he created. And was at their mercy. And none of that is more evident than him being on the cross facing A, the wrath of God for all the sins of man. Two, facing the wrath of man because they had no idea what they were doing. But for all the reasons that the adversary stirred up, he calls himself a king, he's a threat, or he calls himself God, or whatever the case may be. Jews, Romans, we all put Jesus on the cross. Before you get mad at the Jews and start thinking, well, they're Christ killers. Christ died for our sins. Is there anybody in this room or that room without sin? Then we all are responsible for Christ going to the cross. We may not have physically done it, but our actions and our sins are what sent him to the cross. So here he is, the word made flesh. But it also says that that word is the life of men. It also says that that word is light. And when we start looking at that, God is love. God is light. God is life. So really what they're saying is that nothing up until this point and nothing outside of Jesus Christ is real life, real love, or real light. And if you think about it, light and dark are diametrically opposed. They don't get along. They, they, Bloods and Crips get along more than light and dark does. When light shows up, what does darkness have to do? It has to leave. And the only time darkness can stay, I can't say shine, the only time darkness can stand fast is if light leaves. So really, who's got the upper hand in this conflict? Light. We can have forms or imitations of it, but true light, 
true life and true love comes through Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that as we start intermingling Christmas concepts because if we don't exercise caution, we can allow that light to be commingled with darkness and we send a mixed message. When, um, when, when I was in Geo, we had a choir that was made up of Mormons and Christians and secular people and all that stuff. It was a great big choir. And the Mormons, for some reason, are really, really good at creating harmony. And, you know, I got upset with them because I talked about uh, Kirk Franklin did this song called Now Behold the Lamb. And I tried to explain it to them, and they called it rabble and noise. And I was like, okay, I'm going to bow out of this conversation before we have some not-Christian interaction. The, the, the not Christians with me acting like I'm not Christian. And so <laughs> at the end of the day, the, the big stir and the big stink that went all the way up to the chaplain and the chaplain backed my argument, even though he was saying exercise caution, is that the Mormons obviously wanted the choir to go everywhere. But I was in charge of the Sunday service and Tuesday and a couple other and so when it came to, especially Sunday, can we come and bring this choir? No. I'm not sending a mixed message. I'm not going to have non-Christians or para-Christians praising God together and then sending that message to Christians going, it's all good. No, it's not. We are going to keep this focused on Jesus. We are not going to send a mixed message. And if you're going to fire me or throw me out, then so be it. But I'm not going to be the one that lets that in on my watch. It caused a stink for at least two to three years. But we have to be careful about that because we will allow the message to get mingled to the point where people don't take it seriously like some of us stopped taking our parents seriously because they lied to us about this jolly red guy in a suit. In Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79, you have Zechariah prophesying about his son, John the Baptist. This was right after he had his ability to speak restored. And in his prophecy, he's talking about John's role, but he's also talking about the Jesus that John is going to be the forerunner for. In 76, he says, And you, child, will be called prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of the salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That is a much needed message even now. Because many people sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Darkness would be where there is no vision. And we know that where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no direction. Or even worse, where there is misdirection because somebody is taking advantage of people because of the darkness to guide them in a way that they know is going to cause them self-destruction. In darkness, there is no hope. As a matter of fact, the opposite of hope would be fear. Hope is an expectation based on God's truth. Fear is an expectation based on irrational, no truth whatsoever. Like, for instance, I told you all when I was younger, I watched the movie Jaws. I lived in Minnesota at the time. Jaws terrified me. Terrified me to such a point that I didn't know, but I'm thinking that the entire earth 
is really on top of water. Every, every part of the earth is on water. And really, the, the, the depth of the dirt is not that deep. Maybe only about two, three feet, four at the max. I didn't know. I saw Jaws, well, that movie came out in 70-something. So I was under 10. So when I saw that, and I saw the way this shark would come up and jump on boats and all of this other stuff, and I'm going, mm-mm-mm-mm. Mm. And then I'm looking outside going, okay, he can't, call, he can't get through the concrete easily. So I'm going to walk on concrete, I'm going to walk on blacktop, and I'm only going to go as far as the basement. Because if I go on dirt, this shark could come up at any time. Has that ever happened? No. That's never been on the news in Minneapolis or anywhere else as far as I know where a shark comes out of the dirt. Don't tell me about that stupid Sharknado move me. Stop it, Brian. <laughs> but no shark has ever jumped out of the dirt at somebody. But fear had a hold of me. And fear made me think irrationally. And so I didn't have hope in something good. I had fear that at any moment this great white shark named Bruce was going to jump out and attack me. That's how fear is. You ever notice? Go out there on a pitch black night, get away from civilization, there ain't no street lights, and then let's see how much fear you got on the inside of you when you go out there and realize, okay, I ain't in the city no more. When we were up north, there was a little bit of fear. When we heard that, uh, when we were out in, by Deb's mom's cabin, her parents' cabin, and we heard, you know, we went outside in the dark. There's no lights. We get out there, and all of a sudden, we hear this dog just barking. And we're like, okay. And then we heard, and the dog got quiet. Fear, a little bit of fear came up. Yeah, we're going in the house. We're going to get the, the loud, yappy dogs to let us know if there's anything around. We didn't know. And that's when fear creeps in. A lot of people are trying to escape darkness by using stuff that numbs their mind or numbs their senses because they don't want to be in the darkness anymore. We have the light of the truth, but that's a little hard for them to grasp. So they reach for something that dispels the darkness in the form of a false light, like drugs, alcohol, television. The shadow of death is something unfortunate because it means that you're in the shadow of something, which means something is blocking the light from reaching you. I want you to really think about that because a lot of Christians can still end up in this situation. The shadow of death, which means that there is a loss or there is a hurt that has happened that has been so big that it shadows out the, or it dominates the light in your life and you live in the shadow of it in a form of darkness. It could be loss of a relationship. It could be the tragedy that you suffered in a relationship. It could be a loss of your dream or a loss of your freedom. But something that you lost, that loss is so big that it dominates to point to where you live in its shadow despite the light that shine a shine around it. And Jesus says, or Zechariah says about John, that his ministry is to usher in the one who will lead us from darkness and the shadow of death into the way of peace or shalom. And that peace is in Jesus, where there is unity. That's not peace like, hey, peace out, bro. You be good. It's peace that means you're well because of who you're with. 
you're strong because you're attached to something stronger. The state of peace in Shalom is the fact that I have peace because I'm secure in what I am attached to. When you are in a ship and the winds come up, do you attach yourself to the water in the midst of a hurricane? What do you do? You toss down that anchor to attach yourself to something stronger than what's carrying you. And your security doesn't come from the boat you're in. The security comes from what you're attached to. That's what peace is. Our peace is not because our situation is great. Our peace is because our God is great. And we're attached to our God, which means no matter what I go through, what you try to do to me physically can still not dissuade me when it comes to my attachment from God. So you can make this suffer, but you cannot take away my relationship. Therefore, I can walk through the midst of trial and through chaos and through pain and through suffering. And it doesn't feel good. But at the end of the day, I have peace, not because of my circumstances and surroundings. I have peace because of my God. And that's what the world needs. And that's what they're looking for. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus speaks of his own ministry. Verse 18 through 21, and the wind is turning my pages. <laughs> In a synagogue, he's reading a book, the Torah, the half Torah. This is the second part of the Torah portion read on Saturdays. And when he reads it, he reads a certain part in Isaiah that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's his ministry. And he turns around, closes the book, rolls it up actually, and, in turn, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, he closes it, he gives it to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes, everybody's basically looking at him, and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What you're reading is what he's here to do. That's Christmas. That is the principle of Christmas. But while we are looking at that, I want to talk to you about a perpetual Christmas for a moment. Because Christmas is Christ coming into the world. That's the principle. But the perpetual Christmas is every single time that Christ comes into a heart, it is Christmas all over again. We're celebrating gifts and all these other things. We should be celebrating the salvation of somebody who comes out of darkness into his marvelous light because they have accepted Jesus Christ into their heart. He has taken up residence, and now light is dispelling darkness. Life is dispelling death, and love is dispelling hatred. Paul mentioned in his ministry in Acts 26, and I know I'm going to a whole lot of scriptures, so it'll be on the board, hopefully. Paul's conversion was very powerful, and he's explaining this to a king, and in it you see the gospel template. You want to think modern gospel, it doesn't change, because God doesn't change. So when he's talking about what happened, Acts 26, 12, 12 through 18, he's telling them, look, while thus occupied, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king, highest point of the sun. Along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. So a light brighter than the brightest the sun can get to us where we're at. Shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me saying in Hebrew, for those of y'all that question why I study Hebrew, uh, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
This is Jesus. This is after his resurrection, and he's speaking Hebrew. But let's get off of that. <laughs> so I said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister, a servant. And a witness both to the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. To do what? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So here's another addition. If you're walking in darkness, you're walking in the power of who? And it's interesting. It's, yeah, it wasn't a trick question. And, and it's interesting that it says from the power of Satan to God. What does that tell you? That Satan's exercising power over you because you are walking in darkness is not personal. It's all power. When I come to you in a position of power, I don't want to know who you are. I don't care. I'm exercising authority. And that's how devil is in each and every one of our lives. And if you think that, well, you know, I, I can just do a little bit of darkness and I'm good, that's not in your favor. There's no personality. You don't make a deal with the devil. Do you make a deal with the casinos? They don't care who you are, for those of y'all that go to casinos. They don't care who you are. They care that you got money. They're making a deal. And if you renege on the money, guess what they're going to do? Exercise authority. They don't care who you are. And that's the same way that the devil is. When you dance with darkness, you're dancing with a partner who could care less about you. The only thing he wants to do is see you fall so that he can grab you, take you right before the throne and say, see, this is what your image is doing. Straight to God. You created them in your image. And look what they're doing with your image. He has... No sympathy for you whatsoever. But when it says turn them from the power of Satan to God, it's not the power of God, it's to God. He wants to have a relationship. The power is because of love. The authority is because of love. But he doesn't want you to know his power or his authority on top of who he is. He wants you to know him as he is to have a relationship with you. And that's the ministry that he gives to Paul, to turn them from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by me. Number one, that your past and even your present and future, for some of us, are taken care of by the receiving of forgiveness of sins. Number two, that your future is taken care of because it's not just, okay, you good, but that you, that's a joke. But it's that you have an inheritance at the end of all things with those who are the saints in Christ Jesus. That is, you can't give me no gift better than that on Christmas or any other day. That's the ministry. And that wasn't just given to Paul. That was given to all those who have a responsibility to preach the gospel and evangelize. Let me ask a question. How many people in these two rooms have a responsibility to preach the gospel and evangelize? Let me see your hands. It should be everybody. It should be everybody. Every one of us. You may not stand in a pulpit, and I hope you don't stand on a street corner unless God tells you to do that. But you can speak the gospel to the very people around you. And often, they don't even realize that that's what they need. 
You say, but I, I preach, I talk to people, I, but nothing happens. You can sow a seed. Paul says, one sows and another waters. So you can sow a seed and somebody else comes along and waters that seed with something that they speak. The work is not in vain. You could be instrumental in watering something that somebody else already planted the seed from. The whole point is, are we opening our mouths and proclaiming Jesus come in the flesh, dying for our sins, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and that there is no name given under heaven or earth whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us can celebrate Christmas on a daily basis by doing just that. Not only celebrating the birth of Christ in our life, but celebrating and leading people to have a Christmas moment where Christ now is entered into their lives on a daily basis. That's perpetual Christmas. That's the ongoing thing. I could care less, and I, I really don't. So, I mean, if you do, praise God, I will accept it. I, I bless you, you know. But I'm not big on gifts. You don't have to, don't feel like you need to give me some gigantic whatever. I'm content knowing that Christ is introduced. I'm content knowing that people see hope. I'm content that the truth is being spoken. I'm content that somebody who sits in the middle of darkness is going, you know what? There is goodness in the world, that there is life in the world, that there is love in the world, that there is light in the world, and it's coming through the very people who have received it and now have that glory in earthen vessels, and that's every single one of us. It's awesome. It breaks my heart when I go up and down these streets and I see all the activity around the zone. It blessed my heart when I saw somebody giving out a box, and I was like, I recognize that car. And, and as I'm driving by, it was one of Anthony's boxes. And I was like, praise God. That, you know, in my mind, I'm like, that's awesome. It wasn't so much the giving of the box. It was a look on the person's face. These people that I see on a daily basis, their faces are hard. They go through suffering. They go through drama. Some of them have mental problems. But the look on the guy's face when he got it and when he looked in there, he was happy. He was blessed. It brightened. His whole face changed. I went home. I petted now two dogs. I felt convicted. I'm like, here I am yelling at these people in the church. But there's a whole lot of people out here who actually need to receive a share of light and love and life that we are holding on to. That's Christmas. When you go out and you want to buy somebody a great big um, Hickey Freeman, if that's even a thing, Hickey Freeman suit or... Armani watch, these are old terms. I don't know what's modern and hip anymore. Cartier, I think, still is. You know, those expensive watches that cost several house payments. And we... <laughs> but guess what's going to happen to it? It's going to fade. It's going to become furnace fodder. When God burns the earth and everything on it to recreate it, do you think a Cartier watch is going to last? It may last longer than the person you're giving it to, but it's not going to last when God redoes everything. But the light 
love, and life that we are instrumental in sharing with others, guess what? When we see them on the other side of life in heaven and we can recognize that the gospel has eternal truth, eternal consequences, and eternal blessing, that's a gift that will outlast anything that we could ever give them on this side of the earth. So as we think about Christmas, both the principle and the perpetual act, the ongoingness of it. <laughs> I'm not going to try and say that again. I'm going to keep my teeth in. Think about, <laughs> think about that. The best gift you can give anybody is more love, more light, more life. I understand, and I'm closing, but I understand uh, around me there's a lot of suffering. And I understand the nature of this church. I, I try to communicate that, and I try to do it in, in various parts and, and portions. The fact that, think about it, we're a church full of abused people who are trying their best to not over, only overcome the abuse that they've suffered, but also deal with the abuse that they've caused. And this time of the year doesn't make that any much easier. But at the end of the day, the best thing to drag each and every one of us out of the mindset of abuse is to realize the love, the life, and the light that has been given to us that's a lot stronger than any darkness that's ever been inflicted on us. And that that's the one thing that we can give that will outlast any darkness that we face. Is that going to happen overnight? No. But as we go through this season and all the depression and the hardship and the things of that nature, just remember what you've been given. And that's light, love, and life. True light, true love, and true life. And not only have we been given it, but we can also turn around and share it and begin a cycle of blessing instead of continuing a cycle of hurt and pain. You say, well, what about my background? You can do that because your background now is what? New creature in Christ. You say, what about my history? You can do that now because your history now is new creature in Christ. Well, what about my mindset? Maybe sometimes we need to start thinking that our mindset is... <laughs> I couldn't have preached that any better myself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for the light, love, and life that you have given each and every one of us. Help us to realize that. Help us to grow in it. Help us to not hold it into ourselves, but to cherish it and then to turn back around and give this cherished gift to those who are desperately in need of it. Lord, you did not hold back yourself from creation, but even in the midst of pain and suffering, you still gave yourself so that creation could be redeemed. That is love, that is life, and that is light. Help us, Father, to follow in your footsteps. And, and, and if it isn't laying down our life, help us to lay down our pride, our ego, our background, all of the things that we hold on to that are not new creature in Christ. And help us as the new creature in Christ with our peace in you and being in a relationship that cannot be severed by any living or named thing, help us then from that position of security 
to turn back around and share your love, your light, and your life with the world around us that is languishing in darkness. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Would you all stand? Now, just because I said I'm working on the whole Christmas thing and getting better, if any of y'all come over to my house and play that Mariah Carey song, we might beef. I can deal with Hippopotamus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and my neighbor is playing all those songs very loudly in Spanish. But I do not want to hear the Mariah Carey song. But at the end of the day, don't get so caught up in the gift-giving, and I didn't give a gift as big as so-and-so because I don't have as much money as so-and-so. Let's be a blessing to one another with our light, with our life, with our love. Let's share what Christ has given us, even with each other. Sometimes, you know, I won't say his name, but he's very country. It's one of two very country people I know. But sometimes the biggest blessing I get is some of the stupid pictures that I end up seeing on my phone. And I'm just like, really? And I have one I'm going to send back to him about the different grades of, of cooking meat, which is like rare, medium rare, well done, and you were the chosen one, Anakin. But... uh. <laughs> <laughs> but you would be surprised at how you know I'm, I'm 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 human and i sit at the desk and i'm looking at these dogs and and you know i'm going <sighs> and then somebody blesses me with these big words that i have to look at a dictionary to figure out and and you know what it's like well praise god it brings a smile to my face don't overdo it but it brings a smile to my face. We can share with each and every one around us what Christ has given us. And it doesn't always have to be the holy these, thous, and those. We can share our joy. We can share our happiness. Sometimes we can even share just companionship and quietness. Let's lift our hands for the benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. God bless you, and Merry Christmas in a couple weeks.